The Nature of Biblical Counseling on this edition of Truth and Love. I'm Dale Johnson, and you're listening to Truth and Love, a podcast of the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, where we seek to provide biblical solutions for the problems that people face. And this week, I am joined once again by my friend, Dr. Sam Stevens, who is the director of our training center certification here at ACBC. He's also a faculty member here at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. I'm delighted that he's here again with me. We have some semi-exciting news, Sam, to, to talk about today. We've been working on proposals for books and that sort of thing. One of the things that's come out of that is a definition of biblical counseling. And we understand with definitions, uh, as we talk about definitions, they're important, number one. But when, we, when you write something down on paper, uh, it's always easy for it to be scrutinized. And that's okay, because we're not perfect. We're going to put something out there as a definition. We do think it's important that we clearly define what we mean when we're describing biblical counseling. And so we've made an attempt to do that. And what I'd like for us to do, Sam, is to talk through over the next several podcast that we do together uh, to talk through that definition, uh, because it's important that we define our terms, we define what we mean. Uh, those things are, are helpful. Those things do become exclusionary, but for a good purpose, because we're defining what we mean, and we're not unnecessarily excluding anyone or anything, but we're trying to say, uh, this is what we mean when we use this definition, and there's nothing in the world wrong with that. And not all forms of counseling, not even all forms of Christian counseling would fall under this definition, and that's okay. Uh, we would just say clearly that that falls at, into a different camp. We can be your friend and have lunch, but when we use the term biblical counseling, we're talking about something quite quite different. So what I want us to do is I'm just going to read that, and then I, I want us to walk through that, Sam, because I think it's important. We've had a ton of questions uh, come in about different types of therapies and, and how do we think about these things and should these types of uh, methods and, and techniques be utilized in biblical counseling. And before we jump into that, which we're going to do in subsequent uh, podcasts, what I wanted us to do is to, to give a definition first, because what I think that does is it helps to, to build a paradigm. It helps to state clearly what boundaries we're thinking through that help us to evaluate. We're not just you know off the cuff trying to evaluate different theories. We're trying to do that from a, a set standard. So I'm just going to read the definition, and then I want us to break this down. And you're going to see the definition is, is a little long. What we've tried to do is, is to build uh, an idea of what is biblical counseling, why we do biblical counseling, and then also uh, how, the, the function of it, the method of it. And so here's the definition. Uh, it'll be in the show notes so you can have it there before you. And then I want us to just break it down into bite-sized pieces. Uh, the first part is biblical counseling is the personal discipleship ministry of God's people to others under the oversight of God's church, dependent upon the authority and sufficiency of God's Word through the work of the Holy Spirit. Biblical counseling seeks to reorient disordered desires, affections, and behaviors toward a God-designed anthropology in an effort to restore true worship of God and right fellowship with others. This is accomplished by speaking the truth in love and applying Scripture to the need of the moment by comforting the suffering and calling sinners to repentance, thus working to make them mature as they abide in Jesus Christ. And so what we've tried to do is just put together 
a definition, how we think about biblical counseling. So what I want us to do is take that first section, Sam, if we can, and I want to break up the, the bits and pieces to give meaning uh, to what we are trying to say, give understanding to the different phrases so that we're clear on what we mean. The, the first part of that is biblical counseling is the personal discipleship ministry of God's people. So when we say that, what what are some of the things that we're talking about there? Personal discipleship ministry, what we're talking about and then what we're not talking about. Right. Well, one thing we we are talking about is the connection between biblical counseling and the ministry of the church. When I have studied a lot about uh, pastoral counseling in the Protestant church over the last really 100 years, you don't see discipleship at all as uh, a description, characteristic of that approach, mainly because there's the use of these secular therapies, um, psychotherapies uh, in, in relation to religion. religion. But what we want to do here is make it very clear that discipleship itself, the very focus of discipleship, is a recognition that there's a clear distinction between who God is and who we are as his servants. And this really is a very fundamental aspect of biblical counseling that I think also makes it distinct from other approaches to to therapy and counseling. Uh, We are not God, and God is God. And Jesus himself gave us those distinctions as well. So setting that up is very important. Yeah, that's right. And and when we think about personal discipleship ministry, it's it's intended to be done typically when an acute situation arises, and it's done often in a one-on-one or maybe even a small group setting where we're trying to help people to grow to maturity. It is intentional discipleship. This is different, right? Let's say very clearly this is different. What we are not saying is the incorporation of all the psychotherapeutic uh, models which try to do self-improvement. Right, following Jesus is not self improvement. We have to make that distinction clear. So when we talk about personal discipleship, I'm hearing the call of Jesus in Luke nine twenty twenty three, where he says, "If anyone wishes to be my disciple, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me." So when we talk about biblical counseling, it is personal discipleship, which means we're teaching people to follow Jesus, to deny ourselves, to turn from our wicked ways, to turn from our uh, poor habits, however we want to, to term those biblically, uh, we have to turn away from those things uh, that are weighing us down, that are not allowing us to live full lives of true worship before God. And so we are engaging in discipleship ministry, and we believe very clearly that this is what restores the soul, as the Scriptures talk about in Psalm 19, verse 7. So it is an intentional personal discipleship ministry. It's not a therapeutic approach where we're borrowing from all of these other avenues that that sort of lead to some sort of self-improvement. Jesus is not some sort of cosmic psychologist where we just utilize him as one among many options uh, for our own self-aggrandizement or for our own self-fulfillment. We have to learn to distinguish what we mean when we say biblical counseling. It is a difficult call. Uh, That's why when when Peter said... uh, um, he's talking to Jesus, and, and he's like, uh, Jesus, do you, do you really mean uh, eat my flesh and drink my blood? Yes, Peter, that's right. And, and are you going to follow all those other guys? Uh, no, you're the only one who has the, the words of eternal life. It's that kind of call that we're making in biblical counseling, and it's not 
simple. It's not easy. So that's the first part. It's personal discipleship. And I think that's a, a helpful positive aspect of what we're describing, but the, and then also it, it does describe some exclusions there as well. The, the second part of that is uh, it's ministry to God's people, but it's under the oversight of God's church. And I think this is a critical distinction that should be made, particularly, as you mentioned, in the last 150 years where we've seen professional style counseling emerge. So, so talk for a second about uh, what we mean when we're describing uh, the oversight of God's church. Right. Well, another distinction between biblical counseling and the, the other counseling theories of the world is that biblical counseling uh, sets up a God-oriented worldview. And I, anyone who's talked to me knows this is something I emphasize all the time, what I call the therapeutic worldview, which is established in this idea of self-help. It is very much focused on the here and now, and any kind of eternal uh, concept is either uh, it's either non-existent or it's made up in the individual's mind, whatever that may look like. But the a God-oriented worldview places an eternal perspective that the Bible provides to us, what eternity looks like, our responsibility before, again, God the Creator and our roles as the creations to worship Him. And of all of the institutions that God has graciously given us, think about marriage, uh, the government, and the church— only one of those is seen gathered around the throne in Revelation, and that is the church triumphant. The church is the eternal uh, institution that God has given to us. He sought fit uh, to be the context in which we see growth and maturity and faithfulness abound. And um, that's why biblical counseling uh, belongs uh, specifically and especially in the context of the church, uh, that we want to see that, uh, that. That is where sinners and saints are confronted with the gospel, the public preaching of the word. And we mentioned this earlier, too, when we talked about discipleship as the personal ministry of the word. We see that as a natural companion to the public preaching of the word, right? The same purposes are, are, are there. Yeah, that's right. And, and so when we describe under the oversight and authority of God's church, all we're simply saying is that, that the Bible makes very clear the institution that he has designed to have oversight for the care of souls. And he's, he's done that uh, in description, particularly in the New Testament, that he's given the responsibility to Jesus, who is the head, and those who would hold the offices to take care of the people of God through the means that he gives us in the New Testament church, uh, whether that be preaching, as you mentioned, whether that be the one anothering that we described, uh, that we describe in the New Testament, all those things are intended to be done under the oversight of the church, under the legitimate authority. Part of that distinction, and we make this often on the podcast, a part of that distinction is uh, we are not saying that biblical counseling is open to be under the oversight of any other entity, of uh, particularly the government. So when we think about uh, LPCs, licensed professional counseling, um, we have several people who are certified through ACBC, uh, and and they are able to uh, enjoy biblical counseling in some form or fashion. However, we have to be very cautious when we think about uh, who is the authority that's governing the way in which we counsel. Is it a godly worldview which is driven by the Scriptures, or is it uh, state statutes that have a very uh, humanistic morality that they're pushing, and it's a standard that you would have to be upheld to? So what we're describing is that uh, biblical counseling needs to be done under the oversight of God's church and not under the oversight of the government or any other entity because God has given the role and responsibility to his church to accomplish this task for those who are broken. 
and that's the distinction. So uh, the, the next part that we describe in the definition is biblical counseling, and we wanted to use some language that was clear, um, but we wanted to put full weight to say that what we do, if the Bible doesn't exist, we have no task. We have no job. We have no means to do it. So we, what we do in biblical counseling is absolutely and utterly uh, the leaning post is the Bible. It, it, we are completely dependent upon what the Scripture says in authority and sufficiency, and both of those things are two sides of the same coin. If one goes, the other goes with it. We believe the, the Scriptures to be authoritative in everything that it says. We also believe that God has been gracious to us to give us everything that we need for life and for godliness, that it is fully sufficient, and it equips us for every single good work. Uh, so that's a part of what we mean. Describe a little bit more, uh, Sam, on what we mean when we say we are dependent upon the authority and sufficiency of God's Word. I think sufficiency has been misunderstood by many people, and it's become a catchphrase that maybe some people say, but uh, there's become an authority vacuum, uh, and what's taken the place in many in many um, areas, both in the church and maybe even outside too, is, uh, well, what goes into that spot if, if the Bible is taken out? Well, um, pragmatism fills the spot for most people, and this is inside the church, unfortunately, as well. Uh, but what we're saying when it comes down to the, the sufficiency of God's Word is that, um, just as you said, we, it, it speaks to the fact that God, who is the creator of human beings, wrote the book. Mm-hmm. Um, what other text can we go to? What other source of knowledge can we, that, can we go to as human beings, other than the Bible, that can speak to the very nature of who we are as people. And um, that's what I keep coming back to, is uh, no person can write a clearer text that would outline the problems that I face, uh, the origin of those problems, and much more the solution to those problems than the one who created us, and that being God. Yeah, that's right. And so the, this section is intended to to sort of fence in, if you will, uh, what we're saying is the authority, and then what we're saying are not the authorities, because our culture right now is driven in a thousand different directions with voices trying to gain authority in one area or another. And we have to be cautious to say um, those things may have knowledge, present knowledge of some sort, but they are not. They do not trump the authority that comes from the Scripture. And so we have to be cautious and careful not to give ourselves or abdicate that authority into some other area, particularly with with all the social ills that we have right now. We have to be dependent upon the Word to help us interpret what's going on and how to clearly think about those things. And then the final piece of the definition that we want to talk about today, which is describing the what, the essence, the, the nature of biblical counseling, is that we believe that this has to be done through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to set this up by just saying, when we describe the the Bible as being the uh, authoritative and sufficient to do this work, part of the reason is because who we believe the agent of change to be is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit uses His sword, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and those two things work hand in glove together. The, The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to accomplish this task. So many times these other theories that we uh, tend to, to run to uh, in, in opposition to what God says, they're trying to replace the Holy Spirit, much, in my opinion, 
of secular psychological theories of, of counseling and their approaches are replacements of the authority of the Scripture, and they're also trying to give some sort of almost like Gnostic insight that's a replacement of the Spirit, where we see sanctification hijacked and the role and work of the Holy Spirit by unveiling our hearts, helping us to see, guiding us into truth, uh, and then Him being responsible for change and transformation. But yet we look to these other theories uh, for help and hope, and that is against definition the definition of the Holy Spirit being the agent of change. Mm-hmm. Well, what I actually hear quite often, pretty consistently from my counselees, uh, feedback after our counseling time has ended, is uh, what they consistently tell me is, Sam, one thing that, stru- that really struck me during our time together of, of, of several different things was that you consistently pointed out that you were insufficient to really address my problems, and you brought the, the spotlight back on the Holy Spirit as the agent of change. And that is, again, I think a very important and vital distinction that biblical counseling has that other, these other therapies uh, do not have. Uh, that, that, again, I think you said it so well, this um, professionalized, set-apart, almost Gnostic, this inside esoteric knowledge that we have, uh, that, that's not the case here. The Bible is given to us, it's provided to us, but the Holy Spirit is the one, as Jesus himself said, uh, who would remind us everything that Christ taught us, and we have those things recorded in the Bible. Uh, not personal experiences, uh, not any of these mystical experiences. The Bible is given to us very clearly outlined. It is a sweet and precious gift. And so biblical counseling, I tell people often, the biblical in front of counseling is not just some sort of additional adjective. It's, it's vitally important. It's, it's the essence. It's the nature. It kind of wraps up this whole definition, if you will, because it, it, brings, it brings much glory to God. That's right. And so as we wrap this up, I, this is, makes me excited for the subsequent discussions that we're going to have about the rest of the definition, but it just it sort of reminds me once again of how important it is that we defend the truth of, of the Scriptures and that when we think about practicing in ministry, whatever that ministry might be, uh, in order for it to be biblical, every implication of what we do, every aspect of methodology and what we're trying to accomplish, it must be consistent with Christian doctrine, which is uh, why we sort of outline the things the way that we did in trying to describe what biblical counseling is, to defend the idea that uh, we believe in personal discipleship ministry, it has to be done under the oversight of God's church because that's the proper authority, that it's dependent upon this beautiful, authoritative, and sufficient word that God, by His grace, has given to us, and that the work is done through the Holy Spirit. As described in 2 Corinthians 3, where He unveils and He guides us into truth, John 14 through 17. And so we defend these things, we uphold these things, even in the implications of the practice of what we do in ministry. You're listening to Truth in Love, a podcast of ACBC. Now we know that anytime we have a discussion where we try to clearly define what we describe as biblical counseling, many of you will have questions. You'll have questions about uh, theories and therapies that you heard about. Uh, you'll have questions about all sorts of things, maybe even something that we discussed and you want a bit of clarity. And so we want to welcome you to send us your questions. We want to be able to answer those, but we do think that as we start to describe these things in terms of definition, that it will be helpful to you, and we want to we want to maximize that help. And so if you have questions, please make sure that you send us your questions to info at biblicalcounseling.com.